So the lot fell on me to deliver our New Year's message, and it's a privilege to be able to do that. I was thinking, what constitutes a good New Year's message? And actually, it's, um, it's probably very obvious. Some kind of passage of scripture that draws our attention to what's happened in the past, has some kind of pause and reflect, reflection on the future, and an encouragement to do things in the future, and concluded with a resolution. So I'm thinking, hmm, is there a, a passage of scripture that um, is a ready-made package New Year's message, if that's the, the shape of the New Year's message? And I discovered one, surprisingly, in Philippians 2. It was a surprise to me anyway, because I've not really considered Philippians 2 in this light before. So let's turn to Philippians 2, and we'll read the first 14 verses of Philippians 2. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. <coughs> Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act to his good purpose. So, how does Philippians 2 naturally break down into, those, into that structure that I described is a, a good approach for a, a New Year uh, ministry? Well, I'm going to suggest that verse 1 is a reflection on our experience of the past and perhaps the present. Verse 2 is a, a kind of bit of an intrusion into the, into the flow of things, but I see it as a real challenge to overseers, and we'll come back to that very briefly. And then I'm suggesting that verses 3 and 4 are about future behaviour. Um, it's an exhortation. Um, we have that wonderful verse 5 to 11, uh, a statement about the attitude of the Lord Jesus, which is in there, and its purpose in there is 
to be inspirational and an encouragement to us as we consider our attitude for our future behaviour. And then verses 12 and 13 are what I would call a resolution. So that's how it appeals to me. Um, let's look briefly at verse 1. Let's um, unpick verse 1 and see what it, how it describes um, Paul's view of the Philippians' experiences of the past. It starts with the word if, and um, we can look at that word in a couple of ways. Um, if is often used when there's a doubt. But that's not its context here. Paul is about to present an argument, and so it's the um, premise of his argument. So if the following is true, which it is, then his argument proceeds. proceeds. So um, I would suggest to you that for the Philippians, these four ifs in verse 1 are not, not doubts. They're a reminder of the, Paul's knowledge of their experience. He starts by saying, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ. Actually, it's really quite interesting to pull up Philippians 2 on different versions now that we can do that with our software. And it really is very diverse the way uh, these verses are um, translated. So I'm very committed to NIV 1984, and that's what I'm going to be using today. But um, I had my eye on the other versions as well, and it really does help amplify what the words actually mean. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... Um, a lot of versions actually say comfort. And if you look at the word, it's the same word that the Lord used in uh, John 16 when he says, I will send you another comforter, paraclete, the Holy Spirit. Um, and I'm suggesting that that might be a better word than encouragement. But I also love the word encouragement because um, I just like being encouraged. Um, so I'm sure there's an element of comfort and encouragement in, what, in uh, what Paul was saying to his friends, his flock in Philippi. And he's saying, remember and take encouragement and comfort from what you know about being united with Christ. Um, there's a couple of things came to mind about what being united with Christ might mean. Um, another version talks about taking comfort from being in Christ. And straight away, Ian was quoting it in the um, Remembrance this morning, 2 Corinthians 5. Um, in Christ, you are a new creation. My mind also goes to Ephesians 1 and 13, which is a definition of who are included in Christ. It says you were included in Christ when having received the word, um, you accepted it. So um, Paul is encouraging the Philippians to reflect back on this wonderful status that they now have, having 
put their trust and belief and faith in the Lord Jesus. Actually, if you look at chapter 1, he's also reflecting on his own experience of that, which is very much accompanied by suffering. And he's relating his own experience to the, the joy of being able to share in Christ's sufferings in some way. And um, Paul saw this as a means of encouragement and as a means of comfort. So as we're on the threshold of 2017, reflecting back on our own experience of being in Christ and all that that means, let it be an encouragement and a comfort to us. It got me thinking perhaps um, we don't all, <coughs> to the same extent, have that kind of a memory or an experience in the past. The obvious places to go back to are when we were saved. That's when we first began to appreciate what the Lord has done for us. In my own experience, it's about going back to the time when I was really gripped by the importance of baptism. That seems to me, in my experience, to stand out more than my salvation. And we crave those things because we look back on our experience of what it means to be saved, what it means to be in Christ, and what it means to have the opportunity to serve him. And we take encouragement from those things. If any comfort in his love, um, if the word encouragement in the first statement should be translated comfort, then what should comfort in the second statement be translated? And the word literally means persuaded or convinced or to be confident about. And um, so Paul is saying to the Philippians, so you can take encouragement from the reality of your salvation united in Christ. You can take comfort, confidence, um, be persuaded about God's faithfulness as you reflect on your experience of his love. What is that experience? Well, actually, it's, it's pretty much in every aspect of our lives. It's not just talking about our experience of his love from a salvation point of view. It's the constant, unconditional, undeserved love that God has for us and that we've experienced of it. If you have any fellowship with the Spirit, fellowship literally means an intimate relationship. It means companionship. The Holy Spirit, maybe we don't necessarily always see him this way, but the Holy Spirit is the vehicle by which, he's a person of course, but um, reverently use the expression that he's the vehicle by which we have a relationship with the person of the Lord Jesus today. It's a spiritual relationship and that is enabled by an intimacy that we have in him and it comes through our own devotions, our own prayer life, our own reading of God's word, our own sharing with each other. It's also the means by which we accomplish anything of any value. It's done through the enabling and the power of the Spirit. 
So Paul is saying to the Philippians, reflect back on your encouragement of being in Christ. Be comforted by the reality of his love and celebrate the relationship that we have with the Lord and what we're able to do because of the enabling of the Holy Spirit. And these are all past experiences and I would just encourage us to reflect back on those whatever stage we're at and um, cherish those experiences together and be inspired and face the future with confidence. If any tenderness and compassion Curiously, the um, King James Version translates those two words as bowels and mercy. What a strange expression. But um, in those days, it was bowels. Your, your kind of innermost parts were considered the seat of your affections. Where your most, a commentator said, where your most violent emotions come from, and that's anger and love. And NIV translates it translate it as tenderness and compassion there's a really real nice ambiguity about this expression is it talking about our experience of God's tenderness and compassion I think it is is it also talking about our ability to show tenderness and compassion to other people I think it is these are characteristics of of Christ that can be displayed in our lives so Paul is saying, I know because you're disciples of the Lord Jesus, you're serving in a church of God. I know you personally because I've been with you twice and been involved in a lot of these teachings. If all of these experiences are true, he's constructing his arguments, then this is how you should face the future. But there's that um, little expression uh, in between which he says, make my joy complete. And for me, there's a, a little word there for overseers and also for, for saints. Um, and I don't really mean to draw um, a blatant distinction between the two because we're all saints together. But Paul had an affection for his flock, particularly the Philippians in this context, because he had had such amazing times with them. He was there when um, the church was established. And um, he had an ambition for his flock. And hence his comment, you know, celebrate what you know about the past and you can make my joy complete. You can thrill me by seeing my aspirations for you fulfilled by doing this in the future. And the, the lesson or the, the challenge for me and my fellow elders is to what extent do we have ambitions for our flock? And if you're one of the flock, um, do you have any sense of overseers having an ambition for you? Um, I hope it doesn't come as a surprise, but whenever the overseers in the Church of God in Manchester meet together, we pray for everyone in the church, more often than not by name. And perhaps we're not so good at um, sharing what our aspirations are for our flock. But um, I think it's healthy for, you, for the flock to know that. Why? 
well, if you know that that's our approach and our attitude and our concern and our burden, then maybe you can look out for it and um, we can encourage each other on that basis. So what was it that his flock needed to do to fulfil his joy? What was Paul um, asking of them? And this is where, in the uh, spirit of a New Year's message, verse 3 and 4 talks about present and future behaviour. And he says, being like-minded. So he's encouraging his flock in Philippi to be of the same mind. And I just like to paraphrase that by saying, Paul's saying, you're all united in Christ, think the same. Get on the same wavelength. Having the same love, <coughs> love the same. Being one in spirit and purpose, act the same. There's a, a real harmony that the, the Apostle Paul, that's his aspiration for his flock in Philippi. Um, he wants them to be thinking the same, being on the same wavelength. He wants there to be um, an unbiased love for each other. A fact of human experience is some find others more easier to love than others. Um, you know, some of us are very lovable. <laughs> um, there should be no discrimination. There should be no sense of warming more towards one person than another because we're all in this together. And just like um, the love of Christ does not show favoritism, so we shouldn't too. It might mean that our love for each other manifests itself in different ways, but the reality is we should have the same love. And of course, it's uh, the Christian agape love that is um, constant, unconditional, and undeserved. That was Paul's aspiration. Then do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And the message there is, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's not a, um, about our own individual um, ego, it's uh, about this community that we are, a church of God, and of course it's about the Lord and fulfilling his expectations of us. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. What better premise, what better premise is there? for a relationship, an effective relationship in a church, than if I consider you better than me and vice versa. It kind of just um, gives us a sense of seeing the value in each other. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. That's me putting myself into perspective it's important that I look after my own interests. Um, it doesn't say you don't look after yourself. Um, you look after your uh, own interests, but you look after other people's interests ahead of your own. This, to me, seems to be a collection of instructions um, that Paul says, given what you've experienced together in the past, 
may that be an inspiration for you to adopt this set of behaviours for whatever you're facing in the future. Being like-minded, think the same, having the same love, love the same, being one in spirit and purpose, act the same, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. So there's the instructions, and then he moves on to the part that we're most familiar with. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on this section, but he then moves into using the Lord as an illustration with respect to how our attitude should be 